0: Good evening, everyone. Welcome to our live broadcast. Today we're looking, I'm skipping ahead actually, to the Book of Threes. There's probably more likely to be interesting things for us here. So starting at the beginning of the Book of Threes, there is one set that jumps out as being interesting on several levels. It's um, a fairly basic teaching. It's very much Buddhism 101. Uh, but I I'm, I'm, I'd imagine that many of the people watching this haven't heard or haven't become very familiar with it. In Buddhist culture it's very common. So people who have studied and, and learned about Buddhism from throughout their lives, uh, will be quite familiar with it. And that's the teaching on the three doors, or the three aspects of experience or more action, the three types of action, the three ways that we interact with the world around us. This is through the body, through speech and through the mind. And it's it's simple and, and fairly basic teaching, but it's quite useful as well. See, the Buddha was very much into expedience, things that are useful. So he didn't always talk in terms of ultimate reality. Like we're studying today, and uh, the Visuddhimagga, which gets very much into the ultimate reality. It's quite dense and, and actually quite difficult to understand. Difficult to remember, you know, difficult to apply. It's very technical. And as far as application goes, the teaching on the Three Doors shouldn't be overlooked and shouldn't be uh, discarded as oversimpl- over as simple or basic. It works on, on all levels of training. It's usually uh, referred to in regards to morality. So with the body we, um, we abstain from killing. This is a Buddhist practice. Our use of the body is a way that we do evil in deeds and good deeds. We abstain from killing, we abstain from stealing. We abstain from cheating. Those are all physical things that we do. And then we do physical deeds of of kindness. We give charity. We give assistance. We act in ways that are beneficial to ourselves and others. With speech we refrain from lying and backbiting and gossiping and harsh speech, useless, useless, useless speech. And we engage in positive speech. We say things that are true, we say things that are beneficial, we say things that are pleasant. Or sometimes that are unpleasant but necessary to say, useful and true. And with the mind, we, we think we we refrain from thinking certain thought, or when thoughts arise, we don't give them any. We don't give them any credence. When thoughts of killing or stealing or lying or cheating or gossiping or lying, of doing anything bad, thoughts of harm, thoughts of aversion, thoughts of addiction, we don't give them any credence or any. We don't give them any power over us. This is morality. This is the sort of basic way of understanding these things. We should watch these doors and not let them be a conduit for evil. Let them only be a conduit for good. Easy to remember, right? Watch your body, watch your speech, watch your mind. Guard your body, guard your speech, guard your mind. These are the three things that we have to guard in in Buddhism. Um, But it also comes into play in terms of the practice of concentration. Concentration has to be uh, cultivated incorporating all three of these doors or these um, uh, tools or these, these catalysts. The body we use, we practice concentration with the body. This means when we do meditation we have a formal technique. We have to be careful when we walk that we're doing, stepping one foot at a time, not stepping with both feet at once. We do things with the body that allow us to be concentrated. We don't just, when we stand up, we don't just get up quickly. We try to be mindful and keep our movements calm and, and composed. We don't play with our hands or we don't twiddle our thumbs. We don't dance or cavort around in ways that would diffuse our concentration. Some meditation centers have you walk very slowly. You don't have to be really slow when you when you go, but you should be calm and composed. You have to keep bodily composure. It's called kaya sanyata. Uh, and, and with speech as well. It doesn't mean you don't speak. Of course you have to speak, otherwise you can't talk with your teacher. But when you do speak, You have to be clear and and careful. So again, guarding your speech, but guarding it not just in terms of bad speech, but in terms of of staying focused and concentrated. Don't talk too much. And when you do talk, be aware that you're speaking. It can actually be, even speech can be a meditation practice. should be, because speech is is a... uh, it's a source of a lot of problems. No? A lot of distraction comes from speaking. When you speak, you have to think and you talk a lot and if you engage in talking about various topics, it can distract you. You shouldn't forget the fact that speaking is an action as well. And when we speak, you can you can. Be mindful of it, mindful of the fact that your lips are moving, mindful of the emotions that come. Mindful even of the sound of your own voice. And of course, most important with concentration is the mind. So with the mind, we we cultivate concentration, focusing on one object at a time. In samatha, it's a single object. In vipassana, it's every object that arises. When an object arises, you grasp it. This is a kind of grasping that is positive. You grasp it as it is, you grasp the true nature of it. Body is body, feelings are feelings, mind is mind, dhammas are dhammas. When you walk, knowing that the right foot is moving, grasping the movement. Stepping right, stepping left, keeping your mind fixed on the object as it arises and ceases, so that you don't uh, you don't extrapolate upon it, you don't make more of it than it is, you don't react to it or judge it, you get carried away by it. So these three doors work very much in the practice of meditation, and for meditators, they're a good thing to keep in mind. An easy way to remember: Am I being mindful of everything? Am I am I guarding my body, my speech, my mind? And in insight meditation, so these three all come also come into uh, also come into play in terms of wisdom. We learned today about rupa. The body can be used to cultivate wisdom focus on the body, when we watch the stomach rising and falling, the awareness of the stiffness and the placidity, using the body, Uh, it's a really powerful meditation object, because the body is gross, the body is clear, easy to find, easy to focus your attention on. When you feel the tension in your back or in your legs, all of this is body. It's a really powerful meditation object. It allows you to see impermanence, suffering, non-self. To see that everything in the body is in unstable. Instable, unstable. Uncontrollable, unsatisfying not worth clinging to watching the body helps you let go of the body helps you let go, helps you find peace speech in terms of wisdom in terms of wisdom the best kind of the best way is to not speak so much but uh, in terms of wisdom also speaking important things asking good questions letting your meditation teacher know your condition so that they can give advice and and commentary on your practice proper speech can be used to cultivate wisdom in fact absolutely right talking like this is hopefully a a catalyst or conductive of the cultivation of wisdom as you learn about the three doors and as you're told about the three doors. Speech can be a wonderful way of learning the Dhamma, of course, but uh, talking with your teacher, listening to your teacher, asking questions of your teacher, all very important for the cultivation of wisdom. Of course Again, the most important aspect, as in, all, as in all aspects of Buddhism, the most important aspect of the cultivation of wisdom is, as well, the mind. Using the mind to cultivate wisdom, because, of course, that's where the wisdom arises. Not even from intellectual thinking, but it comes from the quality of the mind, the quality of the pure mind that is aware of experiences as they are, aware of the body, aware of the feelings, aware of the mind itself. It is the mind that sees things, sees impermanence, sees suffering, sees non-self, but it only sees this with the with the cultivation of the proper mind state. So the mind is In the practice of wisdom, it's the most important of the three doors. We use the mind to cultivate a clear awareness of things as they are. It's quite simple. I mean, it sounds somewhat lofty, and the idea of wisdom might sound somewhat uh, pie in the sky, but wisdom is actually quite simple. It's seeing things as they are. And if you're doing that, you're on the path to cultivate wisdom you gradually obtain an, an understanding of things as they are seeing is just seeing hearing is just hearing sensing is just sensing things are what they are through the practice of the four foundations of mindfulness So these three doors, good thing to remember, a good basic teaching, good for Buddhists in in ordinary life, and great for meditators, to remember these three doors, keep in mind. There's only three things. The four satipatthana is another way of looking at it, but the three doors are a valid way of looking at cultivation of insight, wisdom, the practice of Buddhism. Certainly for all of us, we have to guard them, guard the body, guard our speech, guard the mind. It doesn't mean guard like in a prison, it means maintain careful watch over them, keep them in line, guard our actions. Every time you walk or stand or sit or lie down, then mean, do anything, do it mindfully, or try. When you speak, try to speak mindfully. When you think, watch your thoughts. Don't let your thoughts get carried away by unmindfulness. This is really the cultivation of Buddha's teaching. That's all there is to it. That's our Dhamma for today. Let's see if we have some questions. Robin, are you... Prepped. Oh, wait, before we have some questions, I've got something to show everyone. I don't even know if it's interesting, but uh, let's see here. Can you see that? Is it backwards?
1: Ah, uh, there it is. It's. Are you able to move that up a little Mate? there? Ah, uh, the there here. it is.
0: Oh, you can't read the Thai. Uh, this is a Thai newspaper. That's Ajahn Thong. And this is the head of, uh, of the Buddhist University in Thailand. He's giving him, Ajahn giving him the Tipitaka the in, in Lana, Northern Thai script. This is the Dika, the tikas, the sub-commentaries. Asabali. This is in Chiang Mai, I think. Actually, I don't know where it is, but it says something about Chimlay. Khanat Song. There, Khanat Song. There it is. Thai. Oh, this is the Thai version. It's not Lanna. That's it. Here yeah, they are. Uh, and so what they're doing now is they're... They're uh, working on the Anutika, which is the sub-sub-commentary. And so he wants Ajahn Tong asked for it to be uh, transliterated in, or transliterated into Lana so they could get a complete set. But the problem is it's not even in Thai, so they have to get it from the Sinhalese script. And I didn't read the whole article, but uh, I don't quite understand um, the push for it. But um, I wonder if Ajahn Tong is just giving, trying to bring the sangha together and and encourage them in doing good things. I'm not exactly sure how useful the Lamatapitika will be, though. I guess it must be. I was just looking at it, so I thought I'd share it with you. Questions?
1: Yes. Sorry, I know there were some from last night.
0: I see one at 22 hours.
1: What does it mean to be attached to Dhamma and to not be attached to Dhamma?
0: I can't believe these questions coming from a seventh grader. That's impressive. Um, Attached to the Dhamma. Well, I mean, one way people attach to the Dhamma is they cling to uh, teachings after they're no longer useful. So especially in meditation practice, you'll go through some experience and you'll gain an insight. And it's terribly common to cling to that insight and rejoice in the insight and hold it like a stick expecting to be able to use it next time. And, And it doesn't work that way. You can't use, we can't reuse insight in that way. Um, you know, the, real in, the real knowledge and insight will stick with you and it'll change, but it'll also change the playing field. So you'll have to deal with more uh, complicated and more uh, subtle defilements where the old insights that you gained are, I mean, they're not applicable in that way. You can never just pick something up like a stick and, and, and use it. The insights you gain are more a result of the practice, and clinging to them isn't going to help you. You have to remember that. You know, you, anything you learn in meditation should not be clung to. Buddha said, "Good dhammas should not be clung to. How much more? How much less bad dhammas, evil, bad things? Good things shouldn't be clung to. How much less should bad things be clung?" So not attaching to the Dhamma is, I think I mentioned this recently, didn't last night, um, don't confuse practice and result. So that goes for insight. Insight is the result of the practice, it's not the practice. Don't cling to the Dhamma. Another way people cling to the Dhamma is they cling to um, textual or, or theoretical Dhamma, theoretical teachings, and think that they already know the teachings, when in fact they know nothing or you know, they don't really know the teachings. I mean, textual teachings and, and theoretical teachings can help, and they can instigate true understanding, but the true understanding has to come from meditation practice. There's no other way. You can't find a shortcut. And so people will cling to theory. And if you try and explain to them how to meditate, they will you know, be able to say, yes, yes, I know all that already. And in fact, they don't know any of it. Because it's all just it's all just like a parrot and they can parrot it back. Those are some ways I can think of that we cling to the Dhamma. Other people you can also cling to it in terms of thinking the Dhamma is the best, right? You feel proud of Buddhist the Buddhist teaching and you go and you use it as a stick to beat other people over the head with non Buddhists and so on. The Buddhist jihad, the Sri Lankan. These Czech monks were explaining this to me. There's a Buddhist jihad where new Buddhists, new European or Western Buddhists will go back home and try and convert all their family. Asian Buddhists do it as well. Ones who who find their religion later in life. The born-again Buddhists.
1: Born-again
0: and again and again Buddhists. That's a good one. Born-again Buddhists.
1: I do not believe in the concept of rebirth in Buddhism yet, but I'm willing to intensify my practice as I discover rightness of the teachings by myself. Can I experience the cycle of rebirth as truth while practicing meditation? When memories of past lives come up while meditating, how can one perceive them as absolute truth? Thank you for the live streams and videos and the time you put into them. No,
0: I've I've given my take on this before several times for some of you, for some of you this would be a repeat, but... No, past life memories apparently they are reliable. They are not reliable, but they are convincing. A person who has a clear past life memory will be convinced. I mean, how do you know the memories you have of what you did yesterday are not just dreams, are not just illusions, right? There is a difference qualitatively between a memory and the dream, say and it, it sometimes is blurred and you can think that I, oh no, that was just a dream I had. It can confuse them. But generally speaking, past life memories, or they can arise that are convincing. But that's not how we understand rebirth. You know, what we, the concept of rebirth is, well, nothing is ever reborn, so it's a misleading name, but, but there is a relinking in the sense of a continuation that the, the mind is, is not dependent entirely on the body. The mind has the power to give rise to new mind. And we see this throughout our lives. An intention that we have gives rise to new existence. You know, hey, maybe I'll run for president, or maybe I'll go back to university. And suddenly there's a whole new series of experiences arising. Now when you die, that can happen as well. If you still have desire, you'll be reborn based on the, the mental volition that says, "Hey, let's do this." So, all that is saying is that all it is doing is denying the efficacy or the the, the finality of of uh, physical death, and that isn't a leap of faith or or even a leap of understanding. Uh, as long as you begin with the place where a meditator truly begins to meditate, even after a few days of insight meditation, a few days of intensive insight meditation, with the realization that reality is experiential. It's not based on an external world or the brain or the body or anything. It's based on experience. And if you practice through the foundation course in in a tradition like ours, you'll, you'll make this paradigm shift. And even though you'll be able to, you know, deal in terms of the concepts and live in terms of concepts of the world around you you have an understanding that underneath all of that the reality is just experience and so the idea of death being somehow final is actually a, in and of itself a leap of faith from that point of view it doesn't you know there's no evidence or reason to, to think that because reality goes according to our experiences and karma and 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 uh, fruition of our deeds is all based on experience. It's based on a sequence of experiences. So it's not that we don't believe in... it's not that we believe in rebirth, we just don't believe in death. And there's no reason to believe in death, that's all. Again, you don't have to believe in the concept of life after death. But you should get this sort of argument that I'm making or get your, wrap your your head around this because it helps you understand how we're looking at things, the way that a Buddhist approaches reality. There's no reason to believe in death, is the way. Don't cling to the concept of death, it will be a detriment to your practice. Not that you have to believe in rebirth, just don't cling to the physical world and the body and the brain and that kind of thing. Because they're just concepts.
1: Thank you for falling into rebirth this time around. I know this is my Mm -hmm. last birth. Did I skip one? You
0: missed one, one, I think. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I don't know, it's a technical one. Someone scheduled a one-on-one meeting with me and I didn't see it. I'm not calling you. So if you schedule a meeting with me, you have to call me. Hopefully you didn't call me and I missed it. But I do check my phone, so um, if you have a scheduled meeting, you have to call me using Google Hangouts.
1: Is is there still the button that appears on the page, or there should is, be? Okay, but if you're using a phone, I think if you're using it a phone, appear. the button still appears. Okay,
0: and it should it should link you to Hangouts if you're using Android anyway.
1: I know this is my last birth as I have been extinguished, but I have no experience in dealing with the situation, and I'm literally waiting it out. I can't teach because I know it is impossible to enlighten others as mine came, as mine came from the source, and I have to realize that karma transcends intent, and most are intrinsically trapped. What do you suggest I do with my time as I don't use money and no longer relate to my culture? Thank hmm. you.
0: Well, I'd, I guess I'd recommend practicing the Buddha's teaching. I'm not sure if this person even does. You might want to read my booklet on how to meditate. Um, I mean, just you will have to forgive me that it's easy to say these sorts of things and it's common to uh, overestimate your progress or misunderstand what it is that leads to rebirth. If it's true that you have actually become an arahant, then um, well, there's really nothing you have to do, you wait for cessation. But the fact that you're concerned about it uh, in asking this question in and of itself, there's a, you know, there, there is a suspicion that you may still have some sort of worry or concern or, or doubt, which um, probably wouldn't be present in an Iran. If you have no greed, anger and delusion, then there's nothing left to do, and there's no sense, there's no concern of what you might have to do. So uh, I guess I look into that. It's just very easy to say, but if someone tells you this sort of thing on the internet, I think most people would be fairly skeptical. People like me, anyway. So read my booklet, start to practice meditation and see what happens. Although I'm assuming probably this person's already meditating. Still, I'd recommend reading my booklet if you haven't and checking out the meditation that we teach. It might show you something you didn't see.
1: Greetings, Venerable Sir. Are your students allowed to offer a massage to you? Mm -hmm. Thank you, Bhante.
0: If they're men, I suppose. Not if their name's Kathy. Uh, no, i 'm not allowed to touch women and, and allowing women to touch me eh you know there 's some debate about this allowing women to touch you probably not proper but you know doctor female doctors it 's considered that they 're allowed to touch monks or monks can allow a female doctor to touch them uh, i 'm not quite not even convinced about that personally, but you know, that 's what happens you go to the hospital and doctors are often women. Uh, But monks do massage other monks, it's a common thing to do, Uh, do lay people massage monks? It happens in modern days and it's not against the Vinaya, but it may not have been so common or so uh, accepted in the Buddhist time. There's no rule against it, so it's probably allowed. Are you happy? Appeared to start a Hangout call and I did wait at about 45 minutes. Huh. Strange that it didn't show up on my phone. Usually works.
1: With the new um, website, will that, will it be the same system?
0: Probably. I mean, I've been, been I've hinted that, I've talked with them about setting up. Remember how we had that built-in video on the web page yes that's a really neat setup I mean it's it's cross browser compatible and it's it's ideal I think it's the future so hopefully one day we can get that up and going. but for now it's just a button and Google Hangouts
1: are you happy if so what does what does motivate you to keep meditating thank you
0: Well, I don't talk about my own state, my own practice, but um, if a person is happy, what motivates them to keep meditating? Well, what else would they do? What else is there? Walking and sitting, it's quite a simple and reasonable activity. When there's nothing else to do, that's all you do.
1: Sometimes after meditation, I feel my mind should be in a numbness state, not alert. As I resume to go on with my life, the mind reawakens. What is your comment on this?
0: Have you read my booklet on how to meditate? If so, then you would be mindful of that. You would say to yourself, numb, numb, or feeling, feeling. Um, I mean, there's going to be some stirring up going on. So some transformation and there are a lot of feelings that are associated with that transformation. When your practice is still um, at the novice level, you're going to do it wrong and you'll, you'll actually feel bad from the meditation because it's all messed up. It's like learning a sport. If you've ever learned a new sport, it's quite painful in the beginning. Not because playing sports is necessarily painful, but doing it all wrong is quite painful and frustrating meditation is very much like that in the beginning so but throughout the practice there will be much sort of um, change anyway going on in, in the body and in the mind so all of these things should not be judged or reacted to they should be just seen as they are if you feel numb just say numb numb or feeling, feeling.
1: At death, I understand that any unresolved attachments may be a cause for reincarnation. Is that also the case with unresolved aversions? It's
0: a good question. It's a bit abstract, but you know, you know, I don't want to give the wrong answer. Technically speaking, I mean the, the simple, practical answer is that, of course, you know, aversion leads you to do all sorts of things. Aversion will lead you to kill and steal and be reborn. Um, but technically it's called tanha, but tanha can be a desire for non-becoming, desire for something not to be, which is basically a type of aversion, right? or so it's a description of aversion. And I'm not completely clear on that, so don't quote me on that necessarily, but. And basically, yes, greed, anger, and delusion, they're all that which causes us to be reborn. I mean, at the very least, aversion is going to lead you to want, right? When you're bored, it's because you want something else. You don't like this because you want something else. When you get angry and upset at pain or suffering, the immediate reaction is to find, try and chase after something. And... Um, that is better, that is nicer, that is more peaceful. A new state.
1: Two questions. One, you've already
0: asked two questions. Well, no, this two is, questions. is this actually a person who meditates with us. crack crackdown. This person's never meditated on our sites. Let's look at these questions. No, I'm not going to answer them. If you want to ask those questions, you've got to meditate with us first. If you've been meditating our tradition on your own, then just let me know and say, hey, monk, answer my questions, and I will. But for now, I'm not a meditator.
1: In my practice, if I feel I have been playing the karma card or just a little more obsessed with the workings of karma, I feel as if I've been playing the karma card or just a little more obsessed with the workings of karma. Could you explain how the Buddha taught there are four things we should not ponder that including the working of karma?
0: I don't know. I mean, is there really that much to explain? Um, it's imponderable because it's very, very complicated. It's the kind of thing only a Buddha could really understand. Just, um, it's not just you kill and then in next life poof you're killed. It's way more complicated than that. So don't get obsessed with it. If you find yourself getting obsessed with it, then just say thinking, thinking, or doubting, doubting, or confused, confused, obsessed, obsessed.
1: And I think you're all caught up on questions, aren't they?
0: Yeah, I realize you know, Frank says he's, says he's meditating, right? So he does meditation. Let's answer those two questions then. I
1: don't sure. Time.
0: I just wanna to, wanna to, as a rule you know, discriminate between people who are meditating and aren't meditating. So go ahead.
1: When facing a recurring situation, how does one discern whether to accept it or to take action to fix it? Is it easier to dissect the situation into acceptable items and action items?
0: Well mindfulness. You know, there's no, there's no rule book that's going to tell you do this, don't do that. But mindfulness will help you make the right decisions and help you realize when you make the wrong decisions. This is uh, the teaching to Rahula. Before you do something, mindfulness will help you know whether or not to do it. While you're doing something, ha- mindfulness will allow you to see whether you should continue doing something. After you've finished doing something, Mindfulness will help you see whether it was a good thing or a bad thing. You shouldn't worry or concern yourself too much about doing the right thing and focus more on maintaining awareness and objectivity. Because objectivity is the greatest tool for making the right decisions. You can't make the wrong decision if you're truly objective. You can do things that have quote-unquote bad consequences, but thats you know, that's, it's not ethically... Um, in terms of, in, in a Buddhist sense, it's not ethically potent. It's not wrong if you do something and something bad happens to it, as long as your mind was clear. If your mind was, was clouded with delusion or greed or anger, then you're culpable for all the bad things you do as a result of those. And if your mind is objective, then you're not doing it out of a bad intention or even an unclear intention. When your mind is clear, you're clearly aware of things. You still might make mistakes because you didn't have all the facts and because the situation was misleading or misled you. But uh, in general, just focus more on your state of mind and don't worry so much about making the right decision. It's more like when your mind is clear, you'll be more careful in making your decisions and you'll just naturally... uh, you know, as I as I was talking about tonight, you'll you'll guard and you'll uh, you'll watch over the the three doors. You'll watch over the body. You'll do everything with the body. You know, forget about killing. You'll be aware of every movement of the hand and the feet. Forget about stealing. Forget about lying. You'll be aware of every word that you say and be clearly aware of what it is that you're saying. And. The nature of those words, but a lot of it is trial and error, you know. Through the great thing about mindfulness is because you're there, you get to see clearly the results of the things you do, and so you learn from your mistakes much better than most people.
1: And then just up, and up there were some um, just a variety of practical questions about food at the monastery. So breaking maybe,
0: up. I don't know oh. if that's you or me.
1: Sorry, can you so hear me now?
0: Maybe turn off your video, see if that helps.
1: Sure. How's
0: that? Same. Go ahead and speak.
1: okay. Can you hear me now, Monte?
0: No, still. Didn't this happen to you before?
1: I think so, Yeah.
0: And you fixed it, I thought. Maybe turn down your bandwidth. I, it says adjust bandwidth. But it's, i don't think it was bandwidth. I think it was like your headset or something.
1: How's that bad? Is that any better?
0: No. I mean, maybe no. it's at my end. I don't think so. No, because it was good for a bit there. Okay, so you're, you're people asking—well, people are asking why we don't have food at the monastery, right? We do have lots of food at the monastery, as it turns out but there's no one here and there has been in the past but right now there's no one here actually giving me food i'm not allowed to store food uh, for myself and i can only eat what is given to me in the morning it's it's a concession you know the idea was to not strive for anything to not get caught up in 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 seeking things out so the concession was allowed to to eat food that if people actually give it to you so we have to stick by that. That's the rule. If food is like, I can't go to a grocery store and, and pick out food, even if I had a an account or you know credit at the grocery store. But restaurants, because they get, actually give food, we can consider that they're giving food on behalf of someone else. And if the food, if the restaurant has already been paid for it, then it's a kind of a uh, you know it's stretching the rules. It's certainly not breaking them it doesn't seem to be breaking them but it's it's also certainly not the best way i mean ideally it would be to go on alms round which of course i could do in the winter it wouldn't be all that feasible but i could still do it um, in fact maybe that's what i should start doing at least in the summer going on arms round through the village here it's funny this morning uh, i met a man this morning i talked to two people one of the, the waitress at the restaurant she uh, asked about meditation, and she's kind of she's suffering terribly. Her husband of 23 years just left her, and her children, or child, I don't know. And so she's working as a waitress. She's so much stress. So I said I'd drop off a booklet for her, and then on the way back I met this guy on a bike, and he's a, a driving instructor, and we talked, and he, he took my picture, and he said, "Oh, but don't worry, I won't put it on the internet." <laughs> and I laughed, and I said, "I'm already on the internet." I explained to him that I teach on the internet, and it was a bit odd, this guy, a bit odd sort of person. uh, So there are people around, and I met a guy on the bus, and he was pretty obnoxious, not in a bad way, but uh, in a sort of innocent way, I suppose. He sat behind me and he loudly, loudly, like I was sitting on the bus, and behind me suddenly he starts saying, so are you Buddhist? then the woman beside me got off, and he came and sat down beside me and talked about how great he thought Buddhism was. So I bet if I went on alms round, I could eventually be supported that way. Probably what, we should do, what I should do. Maybe I'll do that this, this month. But the thing is, I, I'd do it right now, and I wouldn't get anything. and I would starve. I'd probably die. Hey, maybe not. I might die. I'd probably get quite sick. Week, so because I because I've got all these supporters around the world that we kind of decided to cheat and figure something out
1: that way. Just just to clarify, too, the food that's at the monastery that was donated for meditators because there are meditators that live there. So uh, if you go for a meditation course, you when you wake up in the morning, you prepare yourself a double breakfast. And then you prepare yourself a lunch, which is actually a lunch that's made by one of Bhante's supporters who drops off frozen meals for meditators. So it's a meditator, it's very simple. You just make yourself simple breakfast and then pop in a frozen meal for, for your lunch. Um, so that's why there's a lot of food at the monastery, but Bhante doesn't touch it.
0: I have touched it when I had to put it away for them and they br- and and if they bring you know the funny thing is one morning they brought uh grocery gateway brought big boxes of food and i accepted them <laughs> so suddenly i had two big boxes of food that i could eat i don't know if that would have been proper because it was well no it said for the monastery and it was given to me so i'm a it part of the be- monastery
1: before noon time. sorry it was before noon time.
0: oh yeah it was it was like nine o'clock or something I think I had some orange juice out of that.
1: Thanks. And then there was another question um, from someone as to how much the meals cost with the dining services at the university. And that there isn't a set fee, it's it's not like, um, I actually remember when I was in college many years ago, they actually had a sort of an all-you-can-eat plan. You just paid one hmm. price and you just paid everything. That, that's super simple. I wish it was like that at McMaster, but apparently it's not. Apparently there are many different places to eat and what you know, what your meal will cost depends on where you go and what you you know, what's selected, I guess. But yeah. It's it's not a, a flat fee, it's you know, depending on the meal I presume.
0: I think it's like thirty dollars a day total food.
1: Yeah, that's maybe,
0: maybe thirty five.
1: I think that's what you had mentioned when you were using the food gift cards that it was running about $30 per day now, that is $30 Canadian. Um, so that's more like 20, 22, $24 American, something like that, about 20, about $24 American maybe. Um, but when I put together the campaign for anyone who would like to offer food for Vante, I did it based on an estimate of $100 Canadian or $75 American per week, and that's where the the, um, goal amount came up to. And actually, that, um, that campaign for people to offer food is
0: doing really, really well
1: in just one day, and it was offered to pay for about six months' worth of meals for you. So that is super. So thank you very much, everyone. It is always awesome.
0: Thanks for the food. I can't say thanks for the money, because it's no. not my money and I can never have anything to do with it.
1: It'll just be a, a card that you can use to get meals supported, paid for by your supporters. There's another question too that you have.
0: All right, last oh, okay. question, then we're going.
1: Okay. Is kriya when you do something but have no karma? If so, is it based on intention?
0: Is, uh, kiriya is is an it's what an arahant uh, it's the mind of an arahant it's kiriya or kriya maybe it is spelled kriya in in Thai they say kiriya but I seem to remember it might be it might be pronounced kriya as well kriya means means that which is simply done so yes there's no karma because arahants don't um, don't cultivate karma even when they do good deeds. There is no attachment to the deed. And so they don't have any. It's non productive of a result. It's considered to be wholesome, but uh, it's wholesome without a result. Sobhana. It's not wholesome, maybe. Sobhana. It's, vipaka. It's not called wholesome, I don't think. It's called. No, it's called. Uh, Sobhana Kriya, Kriya probably, right? Kriya. Yep, it's part of Abhidhamma, clearly this person is studying the Abhidhamma, so they know, or they've heard about this from the Abhidhamma. In the Abhidhamma, Kriya is one of the three types of uh, minds. There's the three kinds of Sobhana, so you have the uh, Kusala, which is the deed that you do when you do something, when you have a good intention to do a good deed, like give a gift, um, that's kusala. The result is is called kusala vipaka. And when you do it, but are an arahant, then it's called kriya. Because there's a a, a missing sort of intention.
1: for Chitini or anyone who's interested in, you know, these sort of kind of intellectual things, we have a study group on Sundays where we read the Visi And if, you know, if anyone is interested, we meet on Sundays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, hmm. um, which is, this year is 1800 UTC time, in the winter it's 1900 UTC time, because um, here in Eastern Time Zone we have a uh, daylight savings time. But uh, anyone is welcome. Um, there's... I can post information if anyone is interested but we, uh, we read quite a lot of you know just things that some of the questions that have been submitted lately they, they kind of sound like things that we've talked about in the study group.
0: Mm. Yeah, after the Visuddhimagga we should study the Abhidhammata Sanghaha. It's a really good book because of the the explanations by Bhikkhu Bodhi really well done. So that's a good introduction of the Abhidhamma which is Neat to learn about. A lot of Westerners like to learn about the Abhidhamma. Anyway, that's all for tonight. Thank you all for tuning in. Thanks, Robin, for your help. Wishing you all a good night.
1: Thank you, Bhante. Good night.